Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could tune in today. We have a great show planned for you. This is going to get straight to the heart of a question that there are folks who who ask this all the time. Is waste to energy sustainable? And we're going to dive deep into that question. um, And we have the perfect guest to do that with. And that is Mike Van Brunt. He's the Senior Director of Sustainability for Covanta. And Covanta is a company that is a leader in waste to energy technology technology and facilities. So welcome to Go Green Radio, Mike. I'm so glad to have you on the show. Great, Jill. Thanks very much for having us. I'm glad to be here. Oh, it's my pleasure. So let's start at a very basic level for the benefit of my listeners who may be kind of new to the concept of waste to energy. So what is waste to energy? And generally speaking, how does a waste to energy plant work? Sure. So waste energy is uh, you know, it's a facility that helps recover um, the energy value of waste that are remaining after recycling efforts have been exhausted. So think about you know, what happens with uh, you know, the, the trash bag or, or the brown bin or the black bin of waste that you put out on the curb. Uh, we take that material, take it to one of our facilities, um, combust the waste, and, uh, and turn that into energy through a very sophisticated and carefully controlled combustion process um, with a lot of air pollution control. Um, and we use the heat that comes from that combustion process, uh, which turns water into steam. And we use that steam to generate and turn uh, an electric generator um, that we put the electricity out onto the grid for use. And. And how does a waste-to-energy plant compare to a landfill, let's say, when it comes to environmental metrics like air pollution and greenhouse gas emissions and water pollution? Because that's essentially, in most communities, the other alternative to what we do with that black bin um, material. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I think one of the places I always like to start with this conversation is looking at the waste management hierarchy. And a lot of people are really familiar with sort of the idea of you know, reduce, reuse, recycle, uh, and not as familiar with sort of what's the next step. Um, mm-hmm. So when we look at sort of what the full waste hierarchy is, and this is sort of the guidance that the US EPA, uh, the European Union, uh, and many states have with sort of you know, prioritizing how we manage waste, you start off with waste reduction, reuse, recycling, uh, but then for what's left over, energy recovery is seen as sort of the preferable alternative to landfilling. Um, and it's important that the thing I really like about the waste hierarchy is that um, it, it recognizes that any time we put anything out onto the curb, regardless of where it goes, we're going to have an environmental, we're going to have a social impact. And the key is how do we minimize that impact to the extent that we can? And we want to start with recycling. Um, you know, and that's sort of the, the best way for us to return those materials back into the economy. If we can't do that, the next best thing we can do is energy recovery. And there's a few important reasons for that that, you know, we can get into in as much detail as you like. Um, but certainly, I think, first and foremost, one that's, you know, top in mind for a lot of people in the environmental field today is the topic of climate change. Mm-hmm. And energy from waste facilities are able to um, reduce, or actually eliminate, all of the methane that would have been generated at a landfill. And on average, every ton of waste that we can move from a landfill to a waste energy facility 
saves us about a ton of greenhouse gas emissions on a life cycle basis. Wow. Um, and that's recognized by, um, you know, experts around the world and policymakers around the world. Um, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, they're that group that won uh, the yeah. Nobel Peace Prize together with Al Gore several years ago, you know, mm-hmm. called waste energy a key greenhouse gas mitigation technology. And we've seen that recognition from EPA, even California, recognizes that value in some of the policy work that they've done. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's sort of it on the greenhouse gas side. You know, there's also turning toward um, other pollutants um, like NOx emissions. NOx is sort of a precursor to ground-level ozone. Um, SOx, which is an acid gas, um, carbon monoxide emissions and particulate. Uh, when the U.S. EPA scientists took a look at what's the better way to generate electricity, uh, they found that waste energy facilities outperformed sending that same waste to a landfill and generating uh, generating electricity through landfill gas. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. I I, I want to talk about you know kind of a tough subject right up front because sometimes when you see Covanta's name in the papers, it's in conjunction with um, environmental justice communities, and I want to talk about that right up front because. We know that 2020 has been especially hard for those neighborhoods, and Covanta has a lot of waste-to-energy plants located in EJ communities. Talk to us about your air emissions, particularly in those areas, and some of the company's goals around protecting environmental justice communities. No, it's a a great topic, Jill, and I mean, it's, you know, first of all, it's really good to see attention getting paid to environmental justice communities. Um, there's no doubt that uh, these communities have long faced, you know, a disproportionate environmental burden, and it's from a, a wide variety of sources. And uh, you know, there's there's sort of a need to to assess those sources and those impacts. Um, you know, for for Covanta, you know, we've been sort of um, front and center in terms of looking at environmental justice and community outreach. Um, just this year, we were very pleased to support. Uh, New Jersey's new environmental justice law. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably going to be a model for a lot of other jurisdictions and communities and states across the country. Um, and the thing that uh, what we think that law does really well on is it focuses on cumulative impacts that a community faces. You know, mm-hmm. you, so you think about what's the impact from the roads, the airports, the trains that are moving through. Um, the whole litany of, you know, industrial and commercial installations that might be in a local community. And so our facilities are part of that mix. And, you know, while our facilities represent, you know, a small part of that local air pollution, um, you know, we, we do have a role to play and we're committed to reducing our environmental impacts in those areas. Mm-hmm. And just to sort of put that into motion, if we look at sort of our current set of sustainability goals as a company, um, emission reductions in EJ communities have been specifically prioritized. Uh, we've got projects currently in development to reduce NOx emissions. I mentioned before about that's a precursor to ground-level ozone. Um, we have projects in place at three facilities to help reduce those emissions. And that's I think lastly, and why this is really important for us as a company, um, you know, we're very closely tied in with our communities. It's not only where we do our business, um, it's, it's our customers, uh, and, and also nearly 50% of our employees actually live within 10 miles of the facilities where they're employed. Um, so these are our, these are our backyards um, that, that we're working in. 
Right. And and while we're on the subject about, you know, communities around Covanta plants, talk to us a little bit more about some of the work that your company does to benefit the people who live near your facilities. Yeah, and yeah, so that's that's been sort of a you know, key focus areas of ours. One of the things that I'm really proud of what we've been doing this year is, you know, taking a more concerted effort of tailoring our efforts to what our communities need. And, you know, I think what you brought up before in terms of the disproportionate impact on certain communities with regard to the pandemic, uh, we've seen that locally uh, food banks, local community kitchens have been a key focus. So a lot of our local uh, facilities have kind of responded to that need. Um, I know, for example, we uh, in our Camden facility, as part of our um, Christmas donation in lieu of sort of putting that out a, a, an official Christmas card, we're actually making a do- donation to the Cathedral Kitchen, which helps serve mm. um, you know those in need in the local Camden community. Um, oh, and that yeah. fits in, I think, very well with sort of our overall approach, which is really sort of around you know four primary a- areas. You know, one is community stewardship. Um, you know, helping to sort of advance the interest of the local community, helping those communities be more sustainable in terms of green development and energy production. And I think that one is probably near and dear to your heart, Jill, but green education. Absolutely. Um, in terms of, uh, and we've been really happy to partner with you in several different communities with the Go Green Initiative to help bring um, environmental education, recycling awareness into into local schools. Um and also sort of around environmental responsibility. How do we help communities manage things that are difficult to deal with? And that can be anything from uh, our RX for Safety program, where mm-hmm. we can help community-led programs with, with waste disposal of collected pharmaceuticals. And that's, we found that's a really important route um, to get unused pharmaceuticals out of people's medicine cabinets where they might be subject to misuse um, mm-hmm. or even theft. And, and into a safe and secure disposal option where we're not creating an, an inadvertent impact. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes, Mike, when I see articles that mention Covanta or Covanta facilities or even waste to energy facilities, um, when I look at the negative things that are being said, it's often based on misinformation or very, very old data. If members of the public have concerns about the operations of your facilities, where can they go to find credible data, up-to-date data on your emissions and other factors involved in your environmental footprint? Right. So we, we, have, we publish a corporate sustainability report, and you know, we've been doing that now since 2011, and we've been gradually sort of improving our disclosure around that report. Um, and I think that's really been the, the right direction to take. And, and you know, Last in our last report, we started actually reporting um, performance level data on a facility by facility basis, and so you can actually go to our sustainability site um, and even also through our corporate website and find individual performance sheets on each facility that we operate in the United States, and that'll give you not only sort of the benefits around the greenhouse gas benefits we bring, the metals recycling, um, but then also speak very specifically toward. Um, how did our emission levels compare to our permit? And then also, you know, where do we fit in with the local community in terms of mm-hmm. how much of an impact are we having relative to other sources of air pollution um, on that local community that the facility is located in? Um, and I think importantly, too, we've seen probably the best relationships come out of that, you know, direct person-to-person 
interaction within our communities. Uh, we just had you know a great open house this week at uh, at our Essex County facility in New Jersey, um, and it's great to sort of have that direct conversation. And so we have an opportunity on our website. You can contact us. Um, and that gets routed to different people in the organization. I get a lot of the questions around the sustainability program, uh, but it also can be a way that we can put people in the community directly in touch with um, the people who are helping to run that waste energy facility. That's fantastic. I mean, there's no better source than going right to the facility um, that you have questions about, and it's great that you all are so open and um so available for people who have questions. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to dive into this topic of air emissions and what Covanta does to control and monitor and and keep good track of its air emissions. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all join us. And if you're just tuning in, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Mike Van Brunt, and he is the Senior Director of Sustainability for Covanta. They are a waste-to-energy company, and they have waste-to-energy facilities across the U.S. and around the world. And we're going to be talking about whether or not waste to energy is sustainable. And so we're going to talk about some of the things, some of the metrics by which we would um, measure a technology against this 
concept of sustainability. And, you know, Mike, in the last segment, we talked about Covanta's air emissions, specifically in environmental justice communities. But I want to go into greater detail about the technology that you use to control your air emissions. So let's start by having you explain how you monitor air emissions. Uh, Sure. And, you know, I think one of the things that you know, we have a, as a big advantage over sort of the, the primary alternative with this landfilling is we know exactly uh, what's coming out of out of our facilities. We measure it. Um, certain things in our stack we're measuring continuously through, you know, what's called very descriptively a continuous emission monitoring system or SENS. And so, you know, every every hour, every minute, we're checking the flue gases for things like NOx. So that's the ground level ozone precursor. Um, acid gases like SO2 and SOX, um, as well as uh, looking for carbon monoxide and opacity. And opacity is sort of a measure of, you know, what, what kind of particulate emissions that you're emitting. And so that's everything that's done on a continuous basis. Uh, we're also subject to regular stack tests. And the stack tests are sort of when a, a third-party um, testing company comes in and they'll come in and actually collect uh, samples from the stack gas itself and send those to another uh, independent party, the laboratory. And then the laboratory does its own analytical analysis to, to, to determine what the you know, very accurate levels of different contaminants are in the flue gas uh, that was collected during the, uh, the stack testing. Um, one of the really important things to sort of know about sort of the stack test process is that um, it has to be done in a manner that's sort of consistent with our regular operation. And I think one of the questions or, or concerns that we hear back from community members is like, well, how do I know that you're doing a good job the rest of the year? You know, it's nice and all that you did a great job during your stack test, but um, you know when that was going to happen. Um, you know, it, it, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what's going to happen the rest of the year. Um, you know, the, the really important reality is like that stack test process sets some very important requirements about how we operate and run our facility and most specifically how we run our air pollution control equipment. Um, when we think about sort of how our facilities are built and constructed, um, all of the flue gas has to go through the air pollution control equipment. We can't bypass it. Um, it all goes through the air pollution control equipment. And that stack test um, period sets up how we run that air pollution control equipment as detailed as things like um, how we run the back house or how much uh, reagents we might add into the scrubber um, to help control that air pollution. Um, and that way, uh, the regulator um, can be assured that the performance um, that they measure or is measured during the stack test period is reflective of how that facility operates the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. And and while we're talking about emissions, you know, you mentioned the bag house and scrubbers and a couple of other things. Go into more detail, because I, I, I think that a lot of our listeners are kind of green geeks like myself. We like to know about technology. We like to know how things work. So talk to us specifically about how Covanta controls its emissions. Right. And feel free to cut me off if I get too much, because I can probably talk... <laughs> Talk a lot about air pollution control. Um, but, you know, so it all starts in, in the combustion chamber itself. And one of the things that we're looking for is, is making sure we get good high temperature to destroy any organics that might be present. 
you know, so I mentioned sort of the pharmaceuticals before. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that it's that high temperature that we maintain um, for a you know, prescribed um, duration um, that helps destroy those uh, pharmaceuticals and complex organics that might be present in the waste stream. Um, so that's a really key parameter, making sure we do that. And so one of the parameters we're monitoring continuously, that carbon monoxide, is helping to tell us whether or not we're having good combustion in the fire in the firebox. Um, so that's an important place to start. Also in the combustion chamber, we're injecting um, some form of nitrogen, whether it be ammonia or urea, and that's helping us to control NOx emissions through a process called selective non-catalytic reduction. So basically, it takes the oxidized nitrogen um, and forms it back into just N2, which is what you know we all breathe in and just in regular ga- uh, regular air. Um, so that's an important part of the process as well. As we leave sort of the combustion process and enter into sort of the sort of the air pollution control equipment itself, um, you know, most of our facilities or nearly all of our facilities are equipped with some form of uh, activated carbon injection. And what that's doing is it's um, capturing any organic molecules that might be present, whether it be uh, a dioxin. Um, it's also helping to capture, say, uh, mercury. Uh, mercury is always a you know sort of an interesting metal in that it has um, it tends to be more volatile than other metals. So at the temperatures that are processed, you know mercury can exist as a vapor phase. The activated carbon helps take that mercury out of the vapor phase, put it in a solid phase that we can pull it out in the baghouse further on down in the process. Um, so after that activated carbon injection, the flue gases go into a spray-dry absorber or, or a scrubber, as it's sometimes called. Mm-hmm. And in that process, we're injecting lime, and that lime helps neutralize any of the acid gases that are in the, in the flue gas. So that can be um, hydrogen chloride gases, HCl, or SO2, which is that, that SOX gas that I mentioned before. Um, and once that flue gas leaves the... Uh, leaves the scrubber, it's then directed into the baghouse. And the baghouse is where um, we collect all of the dust, um, ash, uh, fly ash that might be going through the combustion process and um, gets collected on the surface of, you know, these very sort of advanced filter bags. And, you know, one of the ways we like to describe it is it's kind of like a very sophisticated vacuum cleaner. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I'd probably more accurate to describe it more like a HEPA filter that you might have as an air cleaner in your house um, and a very efficient process that we can pull out um, the activated carbon that might have the mercury adhered to it, any particulate emissions that might be still in the flue gas get pulled out in that baghouse. Um, after the gas leaves the baghouse, that's where we do sort of our continuous emission monitoring system um, so that we can check the efficacy and, and the effectiveness of that air pollution control. Um, and at that point then, um, it gets released into the atmosphere through the stack. Gotcha. That's science. You know, I mean, that's that's a lot of cool technology, chemistry, uh, and uh, and engineering at play. You know, it's funny, Mike, because I often hear people sort of with dreamy eyes talk about European countries as having much better environmental and sustainability public policy than the United States. Um, does Covanta operate in Europe? And, and if so, what's their view on waste to energy? Yeah, Europe's actually been probably our biggest area of development. I shouldn't even say probably. Without a doubt, has been 
our biggest area of development as a company. We have uh, four facilities in various stages of construction right now in the United Kingdom. Um, and Europe has long had sort of a very progressive um, attitude and approach toward more sustainable waste management. Um, so, you know, whereas US EPA and the European Union both talk about the waste management hierarchy, the European Union has put some very um, concerted policy in place to make that hierarchy actually happen. Um, so now you'll see countries like Germany, Austria, um, you know, reaching recycling rates of like 60, 65, even 70 percent mm-hmm. and largely using energy recovery for what's left over. So if we look at, you know, the waste in, in Germany, um, you know, how that's managed, um, they, they're, really not re- they're really not landfilling any, any biodegradable waste anymore. Um, mm-hmm. It's either getting recycled or it's going to energy recovery. Um, and, you know, it's, it's interesting. I was, Jill, I was in Europe years ago, and we were, my wife and I were sort of at this festival. And, you know, I saw sort of in the distance this sort of row of different um, recycling bins. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, there's no way that people are actually going through the effort and doing this recycling and putting the right thing in the right container. Um, and lo and behold, when I, when it was time for me to sort of go over and do my own recycling, it was like, perfectly separated in terms of wow. where the different waste was going. Um, and I think that, you know, there's, uh, Europe has both implemented discernible policies to sort of move waste in the right direction, landfill taxes, um, and so on. But there's also a very important social aspect, too. It's almost seen as sort of like a responsibility um, to do the right yeah. thing with waste in Europe. Well, they're landlocked. And, you know, for a long time, yeah, that, that was not the case in the United States. Um, but as more and more communities are, are dealing with land use and zoning, I mean, there's nobody that says, you know what I think our town needs? We need another landfill. Let's develop that. You know, I mean, nobody's saying that. And so, you know, when you think about the broader impact of waste to energy, you know, when you look at the footprint of a waste to energy plant versus the footprint of a landfill, it's very different. Help our listeners understand how much space your plants can help preserve from being used for landfills. Yeah, and I think your segue is is right on point. Um, you know, so we we can reduce the volume of waste by about ninety percent. You know, wow. so you know, put another way, that's uh, you know a tenfold lifetime increase for our available landfill capacity. Um, so that's a really big deal. And we think about Europe, it's like, you're absolutely right, that was the initial driver. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until later when, when, when Europe started getting serious in terms of the initial Kyoto Protocol about greenhouse gas benefits that, you know, the policy kind of shifted toward greenhouse gases. But it was really all about, you know, land use and preservation of land space. And waste energy has a really important place to, to a ro- really important role to play there. Clearly. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the other environmental uh, components of a waste to energy plant and, and continue to explore the question, is waste to energy sustainable? So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. I am so glad that you could join us. And just in case you've only now tuned in, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Mike Van Brunt, and he is the Senior Director of Sustainability for Covanta. They are a waste energy plant, and we're a, a company with plants across the U.S. and around the world. And we're exploring this question, is waste energy sustainable? And so, you know, Mike, we've been talking about air emissions, uh, but I want to shift focus to some of the recycling that actually takes place in your facilities. Um, and these are items that might otherwise be buried in landfills. So give us some insights, particularly around the metal that's recycled, um, and, and give us some metrics to understand the, the quantity and the, the uh, amount of, of recycling that you guys are responsible for. Yeah, sure. So that's such a, you know, I, I love this story. I mean, because it's such an interesting one. I mean, so you think about the community recycling programs and what we recycle, you know, a lot of times you're thinking about steel cans, aluminum cans, you know, but, but then there's also all sort of the other random things that are there. I mean, I think about like the, the three ring binder that has like a metal backbone or the, you know, the, the, the water valve you take out or replace in like a home improvement project. Those are still all in the waste stream. And they're coming to our facility, and we're pulling them out through, you know, ferrous magnets for, for our, or sorry, I should say magnets for ferrous metals, but then also eddy current separators for non-ferrous metals. And the quantity is really pretty amazing. In, in 2019, um, Covanta, we recycled 550,000 tons of metal in one year. Wow. And that's equivalent on the non-ferrous side to 3 billion beverage cans. And on the ferrous side, it's equivalent to six Golden Gate Bridges. So it's just oh a gosh. phenomenal amount of metal. 
And that's obviously just a fraction of the weight. So there's just a tremendous amount of metal that's being lost in landfills. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we're working on right now is we've got uh, what we call our total ash processing system that's in startup phase right now outside of Philadelphia. And that process is going to take ash from um, non-hazardous ash from uh, several of our facilities, further process it, pull out more metal, and then even generate a clean aggregate product that can be used in the construction industry. Wow, that that's really exciting. I, I remember how I got my own mother to start recycling her soda cans many, many years ago. I said, Mom, if you put those in the landfill, imagine your grandchildren having to dig through a, a landfill in order to get the source material they need, uh, get those metals back. And she was horrified at that thought. Um, and so she's been an avid recycler ever since. Um, <laughs> that's and great. So, yeah, and so this is exactly that concept, keeping those precious metals that we can continuously reuse um, out of the landfills. I, I just love that. You know, I want to I want to pivot to another environmental component that we need to talk about in terms of sustainability, and that's water, because your plants uh, generate electricity, and of course, that takes water. So talk to us about Covanta's water use and some of the steps that the company is taking to manage its water footprint. Right, so about... About 40% of the water that we're using right now is coming from alternative sources, and that's an area that we've grown as a company over the last, I'd say, decade or so. And so when you think about sort of alternative sources of water, one of the biggest ones is using um, treated treated wastewater from a publicly owned treatment plant. Um, So a great sort of example of this, we have a couple of facilities down in Florida which are located right next to the local wastewater plant. And instead of um, us pulling out city water, we're pulling water directly from that wastewater treatment plant and using it in our process. Um, so that's sort of an important piece. The other one is just, you know, how do we figure out, you know, how to use the water that we have more efficiently? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, basically doing, doing the same with less water. And then um, many of our facilities are actually zero water discharge. So yeah. while we use some water in terms of the cooling process for the, for the electricity cycle, um, any remaining wastewater that we use is actually used um, as part of the ash process, um, and so that facility isn't actually you know, discharging any wastewater to, to the local wastewater treatment plant. Oh, that's that's really good. I mean, that's closing the loop on your on your water footprint. That's tremendous. Now, I know uh, you know every level of government, especially in this next decade. I think that a lot of people know that this is coming. But states and municipalities are really working hard to meet drastic reductions in their greenhouse gas emissions. How does a waste to energy facility factor into the greenhouse gas emissions inventory of the places where you operate? Right. So I think the European model is a, is a perfect one here. Um, you know, so with through sort of the moving up the waste management hierarchy, and I think that, I, you know, can't emphasize that enough that that's really sort of the key. Um, we did, uh, we got to participate in a paper years ago looking at you know, what if the world were able to more sustainably manage its waste? And, you know, I think, unfortunately, missing from a lot of the conversations we've had about climate change and how to mitigate climate change, uh, waste and materials have largely been missing from that conversation. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been so focused on building heating, transportation, electricity generation, all of which are really important issues. Um, but if we were all able to, um, say, uh, more sustainably manage our waste and materials through more recycling, through a judicious use of waste energy facilities, um, we could shut down the equivalent of a thousand coal-fired power plants globally. Wow. Right? So just, you know, phenomenal numbers if we managed our waste and materials better. Mm-hmm. And so I think the first step is following Europe's lead and getting biodegradable waste out of landfills. And that really cuts off that methane generation potential. Yeah. Um, landfills are the third largest source of man-made methane globally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a really big, big deal. And, you know, then getting it into things like recycling so we can start reducing the amount of impact that we're generating by, say, making metal from raw materials. And then for what's left over, using waste to energy. Um, And the reason why I think that's sort of a really important safety valve is that um, that lets us prioritize our recycling efforts where we get the biggest, you know, return um, in terms of environmental return. Um, it also is really good at sort of managing, say, like contaminated biodegradable materials so that we can leave, you know, higher quality biodegradable materials for our compost facilities, for our anaerobic digesters, mm-hmm. and that all helps facilitate the reuse of the compost that comes out of those processes. Mm-hmm. It, so, you know, I think it's pretty clear that um, a waste-to-energy facility um, has lower greenhouse gas emissions than a landfill for all the reasons that we've talked about. But even still, I know that Covanta is taking steps to reduce your greenhouse gas emissions. What kinds of strategies are you looking at to do that? Yeah, I mean, that's a, this is a great question, and it's one that you know we've struggled with in terms of sustainability reporting because so much of the traditional view of around greenhouse gases is focused on you know, how do you reduce your fence line greenhouse gas emissions, like what's coming out from your facility. Mm-hmm. Um, on a broader societal level, the more waste that we're processing, um, that sort of increases our, our CO2 emissions that come out of the stack. Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't look so good from that fence line perspective. However, from a general society perspective, we're diverting more waste from landfills, which has an overall greenhouse gas reduction. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you know, kind of is a challenge that we face on the reporting side to help people better understand how we fit in. Mm-hmm. However, within our facility, there are things that we can do. Um, a lot of the, the more electricity that we can generate from the waste resources helps, uh, ex, you know, helps displace more fossil fuel-fired electricity, or the more efficient that we can be with using raw materials while delivering the same performance helps us reduce greenhouse gas emissions associated with the supply chain for those yeah. materials. And well, I think lastly, which is a really important piece, is looking out for you know, technological development um, around carbon capture and utilization. It's, mm-hmm. We're not there yet. Um, you know, the technology's still new. It's still quite expensive. Um, but I'm really hopeful that when we start looking out 20, 30 years, once we've gotten out of the landfill business, we can then turn toward how do we then use the CO2 that's coming out of the waste energy facility and even the anaerobic digestion facility? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting because I, I visited one of your plants a few years ago right downtown in Minneapolis, St. Paul. And, you know, if you it was right across the street from the Major League Baseball Stadium. And I, I couldn't help but think about when I when I went there, of course, there was no smell. It was a 
pretty small footprint in the city. Um, but I, my first thought was, you know, instead of all these trucks, you know, driving miles and miles and miles out of town to dump things at a landfill, you know, there's just this right there in this, in the middle of a, of an urban environment, um, this facility that, you know, doesn't smell is very clean. Um, and, you know, it's highly regulated in terms of commit emissions control. And I thought, wow, uh, that's definitely, it's kind of like the waste equivalent of a local food, you know, the local sustainability, you know, food uh, salad kind of thing where everybody talked about the 1500 mile salad. This was kind of right. the waste equivalent of it. And I thought that was um, even just the most simplistic form of, of greenhouse gas emissions staring me right in the face. But, you know, in addition to, to mitigating climate change by bringing our greenhouse gas emissions down, we also have a lot of states and municipalities looking at climate change adaptation. How are we going to be resilient in the face of climate change? Talk to us about Covanta's adaptation and resiliency strategies. Right. So we, we learned, I think, some really important and in some cases some difficult lessons from Superstorm Sandy. Mm -hmm. um, so we had some facilities that were pretty significantly impacted. Um, and we learned that, you know, there's certain things that we need to better harden in the case of sort of like a high water event. You know, the, you know th and this gets really just sort of like basic things like, you know, where is your generator so that you can start the facility up again after the storm has passed? Uh, making sure that that's elevated above, uh, above the water line. Where is your electrical switch gear um, so that you make sure that you don't get that water logged and, and potentially have, you know, some failures there? Um, so those are lessons that we learned and have been taking a look at um, which facilities are sort of at risk from that standpoint. On the positive side, um, our Hempstead facility out on Long Island ran the whole time uh, and was able to continue to help the community deal with its waste um, and was able to very quickly sort of reconnect back to the grid so that it could be a source of local electricity. And I think that that's you know, the, what you were talking about, sort of the Minneapolis model, um, which I like to think about as a much more European model, is thinking about these facilities as community-level infrastructure. And we're seeing interest now in terms of incorporating waste energy facilities into even a microgrid um, so that, you know, potentially if you have loss of electricity, they, that microgrid can sort of separate itself out from the rest of the grid and keep the lights on at the fire department the wastewater treatment plant, and the like, so that that community can keep delivering the services that it needs to to its local residents. Mm, that's an interesting twist on what we've talked about on Go Green Radio before, which is this concept of distributed generation. And a lot of times people think of that in terms of solar and battery storage, but that's another great way to do it. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have much more with Mike Van Brunt of Covanta, so don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? 
Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us today. Um, We're talking with Mike Van Brunt, the Senior Director of Sustainability for Covanta. We've been talking about waste to energy. And, you know, Mike, we have talked about the circular economy on Go Green Radio many, many times. But talk to us about how Covanta and waste to energy factor into the circular economy discussion. Yeah, and and this is where my engineering always comes out maybe too much. Um, but, you know, so I, I, I love the concept of the circular economy. I think intuitively it makes a lot of sense. Um, I think what gets lost sometimes is the realization that um, every time we turn the crank on that circular economy, you know, we lose a little something, um, you know, in terms of the product quality potentially um, or, you know, in case of paper recycling, right, the, the fibers start getting too short, Mm-hmm. And then every time you sort of turn a crank on that thing, you need, you need to, it takes energy to sort of reorder the products and, and get them back into useful uh, production. And that's really where I think waste energy fits in really well. It helps manage the things that, you know, aren't as usable anymore. Um, and it also is a source of that energy to help us, you know, turn that crank. So even when we fully decarbonize, for example, our energy system, uh, we're still going to have to find a way to manage the residue that's left over after recycling process. And one of the models that I love talking about is that our Niagara Falls facility um, is a combined heat and power plant. So it exports electricity to the grid, but then it also serves as sort of a source of steam energy for a local industrial park. And one of our customers is a 100% recycled uh, paper mill. And that paper mill gets its recycled bales in, and it can't use all of the, the material, so we get the rejects from, from them, which we then turn into energy, which then winds its way back to that facility as steam energy. So it's a great example of how manufacturing, um, even recycled manufacturing, can work hand-in-hand with an energy recovery process. Yeah, that's really interesting. And oftentimes when I hear people talk about the circular economy, they're they're not talking about the energy component. And I hear about the, you know, the raw materials, the byproducts becoming the raw materials for another, um, you know, process. But that energy component is hugely important. So I'm glad you brought that up. You know, when we're talking about whether or not a technology like waste to energy is sustainable, I think that one of the important measures of the authenticity 
of a company's sustainability work is how involved the leadership is. Because if it's, you know, if it's too low level, if it's, you know, everybody doing their best to recycle in the break room and that's about the end of it, that's not authentic. Um, Mike, is the board of directors involved in your sustainability initiatives and do they hold senior executives accountable for their performance against real sustainability goals? Yeah, I mean, absolutely they're involved. Um, you know, and I think we, going back to the initial development of our very first sustainability program, which was the Clean World Initiative, um, came out of the board itself. And I think one of the things that's really unique about what we do and others sort of in the waste and materials recycling space is that sustainability is sort of, it is in, in, intertwined with our business. It's kind of what we do. And so I think we've got a lot of connections between, you know, the business side of sustainability, the environmental side, and the social side of sustainability that aren't necessarily there for um, for other companies. And, and look, we've had some really great board-level conversation around a variety of different topics um, that have led to, I think, really positive change in our programs. They have been very supportive about our work with communities and in cases have challenged us in terms of doing more. And, and I can say the same thing with efforts around diversity and inclusion. That's outstanding. And that's, that's real leadership. That's the kind of 21st century leadership that every company needs um, in order to, to move us forward. And you mentioned the social goals. And, you know, I feel like one of the key attributes of a sustainable company and sustainable technology is workforce safety. I mean, uh, you know, nobody wants to, to participate in an unsafe or unhealthy process. So is it safe to work in a Covanta plant? You know, I'm really glad you drew that connection between sustainability and safety. Um, you know, if I think about just sort of, you know, the, the most unsustainable thing that a company could do would be to, to, to hurt or injure its workers. I mean, the, if you think about sort of the, the people who are our company or the, the reason our company uh, is successful is because of the people that we have working in our facilities. Um, so that's such a critical part of our sustainability program. You know, we do very well relative to industry averages in our peer group. You know, we're, uh, we perform very well. Uh, 68% of our facilities were injury-free in 2019. Um, but, you know, for, for the person who does get injured, those averages don't really matter. Um, and that's really why we're so focused on, you know, safety, safety culture. And as we like to talk about, it's sort of moving beyond zero, um, so we need to, to think more than just focused on those metrics and, and start focusing on, you know, creating an environment where every, everyone in the organization is focused on working safely and feels empowered to call a timeout if they have something that, that concerns them. And, you know, and in my experience, this goes back to when I used to work in manufacturing, um, that, that safety culture and getting people um, uh, within the facility to sort of have that feel empowered to sort of uh, look out for other people's safety and, and, and view that as a priority is so important. It's something that we're always focused on. Mm-hmm. It's so true. Um, you know, the way that we treat human beings, whether they work for us or whether they are, you know, the, the people living around our operations is so important. And it's good to see that you have a focus on both. 
you know, I, I really wanted to go back to something that you talked about earlier. You were talking about pharmaceuticals. And I know that Covanta oftentimes receives waste materials for which there really are no safer alternatives or that, you know, the EPA has designated, you know, this type of, of treatment has the preferable way to deal with some of these waste items. Talk to us about some of those materials. What are those waste materials for which Covanta or waste to energy facilities are considered the best option? Yeah, I think the pharmaceuticals is a, is a great example. And, um, you know, pharmaceuticals are a really challenging thing. If we think historically, you know, what what folks were advised to do is years ago we were told to, you know, flush drugs down the mm-hmm. toilet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we come to realize is that those pharmaceuticals were not getting broken down by the local wastewater treatment plant. Mm-hmm. And they were starting to show up in the ecosystem. Um, you know, anything from endocrine disruptors to, um, you know, steroids were actually being measured in, in receiving waters. Um, and so what the waste energy facility process can do is through those high temperatures we talked about before, you know, effectively destroy those, you know, complex organic molecules so that they cannot get released out into the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a really important area. Um, the, the other one that I think is sort of a, it's been a growing business for us, and this is through our Covanta Environmental Solutions Group, is on, um, you know, challenging industrial and, and manufacturing wastewaters that, you know, can't be discharged directly into a local uh, wastewater treatment plant. So we will, they'll bring those wastewaters to us through our materials processing facilities, and we can um, uh, pre-treat them so that the water can be discharged um, to the local wastewater treatment plant. And depending on what that residue is that might be left over from the process, that might be something that we then can do um, some energy recovery with. Um, so that kind of helps, um, you know, take that a little bit full circle and even potentially recover energy from some of these, uh, these wastewaters that come in. Interesting. You know, Mike, we have just a little bit of time left in the show. What, what final thoughts would you like to leave with our audience? Well, I, you know, I think, I think I'd probably be remiss to, to not bring it back a little bit in terms of, you know, the recent uh, um, administration change. Mm-hmm. In terms of just looking at where do we think you know sustainability and where climate change discussion is going to go, um, you know we there's been a lot of discussion over the years on government action on climate change, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's you know I, rightfully so probably going to intensify, um, and you know I, we're really sort of proud to be part of that solution and as that mm-hmm. moves forward, um, but we're also seeing a very discernible shift amongst businesses and the investment community which has been really uh, interesting to see. And I've had a chance to have, sort of have like a front row seat there. Yes, um, so and I know that Covanta is going to be it's going to be doing quite a bit, and and it's great to see you guys focusing on these very important 21st century items. I know I enjoy working with you in the communities where we have a partnership in working with the schools. Thank you, Mike, for coming on, and thank well, thanks, you to Jill. all of our listeners to for joining us. We'll be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. Until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green.
Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.